Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Sophia podcast. I'm an OBGYN practicing for over 15 years in my native New York City. And I love to help women learn about their bodies, empower them, and embrace themselves. On this podcast, we will talk openly and with heart about all things affecting women from pregnancy, menopause, periods, sexual health, fertility, and so much more. Disclaimer, this is general medical information based on my professional opinion and experience. For specific medical advice, please refer to your physician. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Sophia podcast. Considering that this month in February is American Heart Month, I'm excited to have on this episode my own cousin, Wakisha Stewart, talk about her journey as she went through a near-fatal heart attack. She tells the whole story in her book, Sonata for a Damaged Heart. I'm also joined by my dear friend and co-host, Tusef Mirza. Welcome to the show. Thank you. All right. So let's just get right into it, uh, Keisha. So for everybody who doesn't know, this is, like I said, this is my my cousin. Um, <laughs> and I'm super excited that she is my first guest ever on the Dr. Sophia podcast. And we lovingly call her Keisha. So that's what it's going to be for the rest of today's show. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome, Keisha. Thank you for having me, Sophia. <laughs> oh, ooh, she gave you a whole like <laughs> cultural government there. Okay, love it. <laughs> I, I have to say that I absolutely love the heart theme that is going on right now. So both of them are wearing red. Keisha, can I call you Keisha as well? Of course, of course. Okay, <laughs> Keisha also has red headphones. I'm in, I'm a little bit in a maroon. They said it's okay because it's in the same hue as red, but I'm loving the energy. Love the energy. All right, so Keisha, we're gonna just jump right into it. What year was it that um, all that happened with you? What year was that again? It was October of 2011. Okay. So October of 2011, I was a busy resident. I was finishing up residency when I got the call that something terribly wrong was going on with you. And here I am, a a woman doctor, you know, and of course, experiencing women who've gone through things like preeclampsia and all the other stages that can go with that you know, cardiomyopathy. These are big terms that are just things that can affect women in pregnancy and that can affect their heart. And then of course I hear this is happening to my own cousin, the possibility or the concept actually of a heart attack. And I remember feeling very um, taken aback and like, how can this happen to someone that I love? So just start us and tell us your story. Of course. And we're not just, you know, distant cousins. We're first cousins. We're first cousins. <laughs> like my mom and her dad are brothers. Our sister. brother and sister. Yes. <laughs> so we, we really very, share very a lot. We're very close. Yeah. Yes. We are in the cousins group chat. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I gave birth to my second son, Michael Diego, in, at the end of September of 2011. Exactly two weeks later, that particular day, October 14th of 2011, I was tired, but I had a baby. I had this newborn that I was breastfeeding and supplementing formula with, and he was hungry all the time. So I didn't sleep very much. So me feeling overly fatigued wasn't really out of the realm of possibility. Friends of ours were going to have a dinner party. It was going to be our first opportunity to get out of the house So I was all for it. I just wanted to go and be amongst my peers and not have to think about anything for a couple of hours. When we got to our friend's house, I was still feeling overly fatigued and I started to feel a little disoriented, but again, just figured 
I just had a baby. It's fine. I began speaking to other people. And as I was having conversations, I recognized that I wasn't able to see them clearly. My vision was being impaired. My stomach had a little bit of indigestion. Um, I wasn't able to focus. I was very disoriented. At one point, I was staring at my friend and she asked me, you know, can you hear me? And I said, let me just go to the bathroom. Let's let me splash some water on my face, because at that point, I started to feel like I was overheating. My palms were getting clammy. When you say that you it started to blur your vision, was it like you couldn't really, like if you're not wearing glasses and you're supposed to wear glasses, or was it a different yes, type of blurry was, vision? So it was like I could see blobs, like I could see an image there, but I couldn't make out the actual um, like faces faces Mm. um so that was obviously that was shocking for me that never happened to me before um and like I said this was my second child and I didn't experience this with my first but I figured okay maybe I'm just hot maybe something else is happening but I never in my wildest dreams that I think it was heart related so after I splashed some water on my face I left the bathroom I went back to sit down to resume the conversation that I was having. And suddenly I felt this sharp, the sharpest pain that I've ever felt in my whole entire life. And mind you, I've been through labor. (laughs) Wow. And um, it took my breath away. And it felt at that point that my chest was just being crushed, like it was in a vice. And I knew at that point something was wrong. Still didn't think that it was a heart attack because I was 31. I was an athlete. Um, I didn't really have any sort of medical history in our family. As far as I knew, we didn't really have any sort of cardiac related history. It was always diabetes that Mm -hmm. we were concerned about. So again, I didn't think that it was heart related, but I knew that something was terribly wrong. A few seconds went by and then the pain radiated from my chest up through the back of my neck, up through into my jaw. And I had that tingling and numbing sensation down my left arm. Again, I was breathless. That indigestion came back. And I turned to my husband and I said, something's, something's wrong. We have to go. And, you know, he kind of jokingly said, are you sure you didn't have too much wine? And I said, no, (laughs) I know I haven't drank, you know, in nine months, but, you know, it was only maybe I had half, half a glass, if that, at that point. When you talk about uh, the pain that you felt, uh, was it almost like electric or was it more like muscle spasm or was it like something you had never experienced before? It was something like I never experienced before, just the sharp pain, the sharp pain in the chest. And then it was kind of like, if you can imagine when you look at um, like a sun or if someone has a drawing of the sun and you see like the rays come shooting out of the sun, that's kind of how it felt that the pain shot out through up into my jaw, up to the back of my neck Mm -hmm. and I would never want to experience that type of pain ever. Yeah. Labor we don't want pain. you to either. No. Well, <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, labor pain and that pain different. It's just different. Not only did it take my breath away, but you could feel the energy leave you. Mm. Um, so it was intense. It was really, really intense. And it got to the point where, you know, I told Mike, we got to go now. I started vomiting as we were leaving the house. We got in the car. He sped, which I don't recommend. Call 911. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But stay safe. Right. Stay safe. Um, we were maybe seven minutes from the hospital. So he got me to the hospital. We go in. He kind of parked his car right in front of the emergency department where the ambulances park, grabbed a wheelchair, wheeled me in. And mind you, all the symptoms that I described, still experiencing. Wheeled me in. I'm speaking to the receptionist. She asked me, oh, what brings you in you know, to the ER tonight? And I told her I was having chest pain. Um, I couldn't breathe. 
And she asked me, which, you know, is pretty standard. Well, what were you doing prior to experiencing this? And I told her, well, I was at a dinner party. I just had a baby two weeks ago. You know, at the time I was a nursing assistant. So I'm going through everything that I would say for my patients. Okay, we did this. I was at a party. Um, You know, I just had a baby just in case that could be an issue. And she looked at me and she said, oh, honey, you've been out for the first time. It's it's anxiety or panic attack. And... I looked at her and I said, no, it is not. Um, There's something seriously wrong. She told me, oh, if I just go home, I should be fine. And I said, no, (gasps) I'm not leaving. I want to be checked. And she said, after she rolled her eyes, she said, okay, well, you can just go wait in the waiting room. So I sat and I waited in the waiting room, probably a good 20 or 30 minutes before I got called back into triage, still experiencing shortness of breath, still experiencing the chest pain, still feeling nauseated, um, still having the tingling and all the sharp pain, everything still present. I finally get back there. They do the EKG. It's inconclusive. Um, They don't know what's happening. A more senior nurse for whatever reason. And mind you, I mean, privacy... You're supposed to close the curtain <laughs> so that, you know, people as they're passing by, they don't see you. But thank God they didn't that particular evening because the nurse that passed by the bay that I was in, she looked at me for maybe two seconds and said, she's having a heart attack. She needs to get to the back now. Oh my God, and thank all God of a sudden, nurse. Right. All of a sudden, everything kind of clicked. But I'm in shock. Who at 31 has a heart attack? why? And I'm I'm healthy. I never had an issue. Like what is happening? They rush me into the back um, and they start the standard protocol, you know, morphine, oxygen. They're giving me nitro. Uh, That's nitroglycerin. Nitroglycerin. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you like up until that point. So when you're in that hospital bed and they're doing all those tests before that nurse came, at that point, did you think you were having a heart attack or you still didn't know what was happening? I still didn't know what was happening. There's a part of me that thought, okay, I had had a C-section, right? So I thought, well, maybe there was a clot or something, but I didn't think it was a heart attack. Heart-related never crossed my mind. Never, mm-hmm. ever crossed my mind. While I was being treated on in the back, um, I can remember thinking, this is it. Like. I've gone through, because at this point, we're talking about maybe an hour since I first experienced, you know, those initial symptoms and I'm only now being treated. I, that's it. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to make it. It's been too long. And, you know, as medical professionals, we know that time is of the essence, whether it's a heart attack or a stroke. So at the time, the hospital that I was at did not have a cardiac intervention unit. So I had to be transported to another hospital. And I remember looking at my husband, at the time he was my boyfriend. Um, We weren't married yet. But uh, I said, you know, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. Make sure you let Michael Diego know how much I loved him and wanted him. Um, Make sure him and I had a five-year-old son at the time as well. I said, make sure from my previous marriage, I said, make sure that they grow up knowing each other. Um, and of course, he was just besides himself. He said, no, you're going to be fine. Stop talking like that. But I kind of came to the realization that this might not end you know, positively. This could be it for me. So they transported me and in the ambulance, um, the ambulance driver got lost to oh the next hospital. Yeah, yeah. So many times that night looking back, <laughs> I thought... I shouldn't be here. Like, why am I here? Mm -hmm. The ambulance driver got lost. You know, I, they didn't want to look at me. (laughs) Like, you know, so many things happened, but finally we did make it to the hospital. Mike had gotten there before I did. So he thought something horrible happened. They wheeled me in. They rushed me into a surgery. The cardiologist, thank goodness that the cardiologist that was on call had seen a case like mine the year prior. And he has been a cardiologist for 30 plus years at this point. 
Um, he explained to me once he did my angioplasty, uh, he placed a stent in my heart and he said, what you had is what we call a SCAD, which is a spontaneous coronary artery dissection. So basically the inner lining of my artery, and it happened in my LAD, which is your left anterior descending um, in my like, left ventricle. And it, which, it's only the, one of the that's major a, arteries. It's one of the like, most major, right? Major, like, uh, yeah. One of the yeah. most like, like, major what? arteries. That's it. No, it's okay. <laughs> and unfortunately, whatever the case was, because at that time, I mean, they're still doing research even now today, but he said what probably happened was hormones could have weakened the lining and that's what caused um, this tear. And because the tear completely occluded my artery, that's what caused my quote unquote widowmaker heart attack. Yeah. The widowmaker, only one in four survive. So I had, you know, only a 25% chance of survival that night. So of course I'm just still in shock, still still wondering why did this happen? How still, what is this scad thing? Why didn't I know that women could have heart attacks after? Why, why is this something that I wasn't aware that I should look out for? Mm -hmm. um, but at that point, you know, I was just focusing on surviving the night after they placed the stent. I was in the cardiac intensive care unit. The nurses were great, but they weren't used to having a young patient like me. You know, they're used to having, you know, Grandpa Joe or Grandma Ruth, you know, <laughs> uh, and having to take care of people who uh, didn't just have a baby. I remember at one point I just said, I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> like, I don't know if I'm going to wake up but I just want to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. All of this is just too much. It's too much to handle. So just a question but, in terms of yeah. what the stent actually did was to stop the bleeding. Is that the stent actually was to then keep the artery open. So what happened to her basically is that because of that tear, imagine that the tear then causes almost like a flap that closes the artery. Okay, and then stops. Blood so imagine flow. like a hose. So, uh, so like yeah. a hose that you kind of like cut off. So now if the hose is cut off, you're no longer getting flow to the heart. And so what the stent does is keep the hose open. Mm. And that's what she had. Okay, yeah. so the blood wasn't flowing yeah. well in your, when you have a SCAD, your your blood flow isn't going well. To the, the heart. Your, and, the then, heart. and then if it's not going to the heart, it's not going to any other part exactly. of the body. So that then is it doesn't correct. go to anywhere. Yes. And for SCADs, there's different, which I didn't know at the time, which I discovered, you know, through my own research and later on, years later, there are different levels of SCAD, different degrees of severity. There are some women who have a SCAD and it doesn't completely occlude their artery. You know, sometimes they can just have it healed by medication and rest, whereas, you know, more extreme could be complete, completely 100% occluded have a heart attack, go into cardiac arrest. So there's there's a wide range of things that can happen. But yeah, it was something that was rare. And I had to learn everything that I could about it because it happened to me. And I wanted to know why, why did it happen to me? Um, how could this happen? It was a very trying time. I went into depression because once I was released a few days later, I couldn't lift anything more than 10 pounds, which meant I couldn't lift my baby. I couldn't lift my newborn son. When he was born, he was eight pounds, 13 ounces. So two weeks went by, he was already at 11, 12 pounds. I mean, he was an eater, like I said. Um, so I couldn't lift him up by myself. I always had to have someone with me just in case. And for someone who was independent, majority of my life, as Sophia knows, I mean, yes, we were all course. kind of raised to be independent women. Yes. You know, we handle ourselves. <laughs> very much so. It was very hard for me to release and have to become dependent upon other people. And that for me was the biggest hurdle in the beginning. It was allowing myself to be okay with being dependent. And I struggled. I really, really struggled with that. So, so let me ask yeah. you, I mean, I think what's amazing, and thank you for sharing all of that, is the fact that you said that you were an athlete and, and you were a nurse and you were young. And so when you put all of those things together and you still had it, 
it's kind of mind boggling to to number one, realize that it can happen to somebody like that, number one. And number two, once you realize what happened, did you start to think, oh, I should have known this or, um, you know, like, is there certain things that you go back and like double check with you or or no? And I don't think you need to do that. I'm just wondering what you went through uh, in terms of post thinking about this. Once you survive something like that, you start to think, well, A, why did it happen? And B, why did I not know that it could happen? And I just think that, unfortunately, majority of doctors, cardiologists, OBGYNs, a lot of them don't know what a SCAD is. You're 100% correct. Yeah, I had to teach. So the cardiologist, like I said, who placed the stent, he had only seen one case, and that was the year prior. And she was a marathon runner. And with SCADs, frequently it affects women that are healthy. Uh, It sometimes happens or majority of the time it happens to women who are postpartum or going through perimenopause or menopause. It's one of those hormone things. And it also happens to sometimes to people who are working out hard. You know, someone could mm. just run a marathon and that increased demand on the heart could cause the SCAD. So there's all sorts of different reasons, but the two main, they believe it's hormone related or stress induced. Um, you don't know if you're going to be the one. And that's what upset me the most is because you don't know if you're going to be the one. And actually I was grateful because the doctor that I had, he told me probably one of the reasons why I survived is because I was an athlete. Right. Um, I had a very strong heart. You had collaterals, you had collaterals. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Your, your heart is already working like a champ. So even though your LAD, what we call the widow maker is down, the rest of your heart was like, okay, we got to fight, you know? Right. Exactly. And that could be what saved me. And I also think back to how we grew up. Um, We didn't have junk food in the house. The way that we grew up, we had, you know, my parents would cook. We didn't get McDonald's. Yeah, we always ate at home. (laughs) We didn't. We always ate at home. Yeah. You know, we we had fruits and and vegetables. We ate, we actually ate a rather, despite being from our very Haitian background. (laughs) But (laughs) so it's not just glio. It's not just, you know, fried foods. (laughs) <laughs> you know, we, we actually had a lot of vegetables in growing up, you know, um, I think we were very fortunate that we also had parents who believed in working out. You know, my mother yes. always worked out, her dad and her mom always worked out. It was very important that we always had a very active lifestyle. So yeah, Keisha, you're right. We're very fortunate that we had- We were given a foundation. Foundation. We were given a great foundation. Agreed. And I think that also contributed to the fact of why I survived. Um, You know, our parents set us up for success in that way. So if something were to happen without even realizing or recognizing it, if something were to happen, our bodies would fight and be able to fight and be able to heal. Wow. You know, first, (laughs) Quiche, you know, this is our first time actually talking about this like this. Yeah, yeah. And um, I don't think I've ever really talked to family in depth no. About it. Like no. This. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, as I'm listening to you, my, my eyes were welling up and I'm like, oh my God, I can't, you know. And I think about the fact that you're right. As a doctor, I, I've, ne- I've, I've had one instance of SCAD and guess what? It was this year. It was this year that I, I encountered a patient who had basically what you had, mm. who, and she was eight months postpartum. I, like I said, I've heard of women who've had other heart conditions related to pregnancy, but right. certainly I did not know about SCAD. And so, and I can't- it's, yeah, it, it's, it's, unfortunately, it's becoming more frequent. Um, it's something that I believe with the American Heart Association, they said that almost 35% of heart attacks that happen to women between the age of 20 to 50 are SCAD related. Wow. I mean, that's, that's high. That's That's one in three. Yeah. Right. And it's a phenomenon that's really not discussed. It's a phenomenon. Like you said, physicians just don't know. 
No. They don't realize. And because it's hormonally based, it only happens to women or do men also get scared? Men also get scared. So 90% of the cases are female, where mm. 10% are male. You know, it's funny because our hormones are actually supposed to be very protective and I and they are, but I think it's probably since it's happening after deliveries and it's happening in menopause, it's actually the change that yes. happens in the hormones that's probably the real cause of what, you know, as part of it, at least. Right. It's the actual change. And then for postpartum, it's a very dramatic change, mm-hmm. actually. It, it happens very quickly, the up and the down that happens with your hormones. Right. So I, I wouldn't right. be surprised of how that plays the role. So if you don't mind talking to us a little bit more about the disparities or some of the racial, like how you felt as a black woman and what you experienced being a black woman who was having that heart attack at the so time. So at the t- at the time, I didn't think of it being a racial thing. Um, you know, as you're going through it, you're just thinking it's fight or flight, right? So I was fighting. I was fighting to survive. Looking back after the fact. Um, I just kept thinking, well, why was she so dismissive? Why was she so quick to dismiss me? And unfortunately, there are these stereotypes. There's this notion that women are dramatic, that women are just, you know, there to get attention. There's a stereotype that Black women especially are loud and angry. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I'm not allowed an angry person. I can get loud and angry if you're not <laughs> going to take me seriously. But but you're you know, so far from right. Exactly. I'm very very docile. Mild, yeah, mild mannered. Mild. Yes. And I think a lot of times there's there are these cultural biases that we all have. Right. Um, in the medical field, I remember being in nursing school and then having a chapter about medical bias. And, you know, they had the example, oh, Asian women tend to be a little more timid and quiet. You know, Black women are seen to be strong, so they don't need as much pain medication. Mm. And I remember my professor saying, throw all of this out the window, because each individual needs to be seen as just that, an individual. But unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. we're human and we like to grasp or hold on to all these different ideas to make life a little bit easier, right? And that's just not fair. And at the time when I looked back, I was so angry. I was angry because I kept thinking, I said I had chest pain, right? <laughs> you know, I start <laughs> questioning myself. And and I just kept thinking, well, why? Why would she, a woman, yeah. kind of minimize what I'm going through. And that made me want change. It took a while for me to be able to share my story. I went back to nursing school because of that nurse that saved my life, because I saw that there was such a great need for patients who might not be able to speak up for themselves to have an advocate say, no, no, you're going to listen to the patient my patient needs A, B, C, D. Yes. Um, I think women don't. Can I just? I'm sorry. I'm yeah. like really tearing up right now. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you two are blood related because what you just said is pretty much the same story that Sophia tells me all the time of why she became an OBGYN. Yeah, I needed. To, I need to stand up for women. I needed to be there for women, and it's the whole sole reason why I went to medical school is to take care of women. I think for us, because of how we were raised, how we were brought up, we are strong in that respect. Like we yeah. know that we as women, we need voices to be heard. Definitely. And again, the way that we were raised is really probably what got you to go, got me to go. <laughs> you know? And I am not the type of person who likes attention at all. But it's because I have this passion, this fire in me to not let another woman go through what I went through. And since 2011, there have been so many instances in which they have. And I knew that if I survived, I survived for a reason. And the reason was to do what I am doing now, to educate. So that way, 
I can advocate or have other people advocate for themselves. Can I ask you a question? So if yes. now that you know all of this information and have lived through SCAD yourself, if you were to go back on that October day in 2011 and you would start to have these palpitations or feeling a little bit tired, do you feel that you would have been able to maybe catch it or recognize it a little bit quicker? Um, knowing what I know now, Mm -hmm. Um, if I knew all of that back then, yes, I would say, because now I speak about, listen to your body. I listened to my body. It took a little bit longer <laughs> for me to listen to my body, but I listened. I did listen. Um, yes. I should have listened sooner, but maybe I needed to go through the dramatics, go through everything that I went through in order for me to relay this message that women have heart attacks too, and they're not the same as men. It's it's so funny because I and that really I want us to all really ring home that message because you said I was just feeling, you know, tired and nauseous. You know, like you felt like nauseated and and that's very often how women present when they are having a heart attack. They very often present completely atypical. It's not this elephant sitting on their chest. That's a very late sign. Yes. You know, it's not the first thing that's happening when a woman starts ha is having a heart attack. So sometimes they don't, they don't even have the chest pain. Exactly. Sometimes they don't, but they have all these other symptoms. And right. I often right. say, you know, your body is a beautiful machine. It will yes. give you signs, but you have to know your body, know your baseline, know yourself well enough to know what is wrong, what's right and what's wrong. And thankfully that night, I knew myself well enough to say, no, something is wrong and I am going to be seen. It, yes. Women have this tendency to have this superwoman syndrome where we think we can handle everything. And, you know, if we start feeling sick, we kind of push past it because there's so much we have to do. Uh, now, having gone through what I went through, I mean, Trust me, in the last decade, I've had a lot of ups and downs and I've had to, I've had my body remind me, you know, that I have to take my time, go slow. I have to make time for me. But um, we all need to recognize that self-care is not selfish. It's selfless. Yes. The more that we can take care of ourselves, we're able to be there for the family and the friends that we you know, feel that we have to take care of. So take care of you. Make sure you're doing what you need to do. And as far as my SCAD is concerned, there is nothing I could have done to avoid it. It wasn't because I didn't eat correctly. It wasn't because I wasn't exercising or anything like that. So like I said earlier, if you have a good foundation, give your children that foundation. Make sure that they're eating right and being active, set yourself up for success so that if something does happen, you have a better chance of survival. That's amazing. That's great advice, Keisha. That's like, it really is. And, and I just, I want to ask you a question about how do you feel now about just heart disease in general? Or what do you think about it in terms of what else women should know? I get angry sometimes. I get angry that it's still... You know, a woman dies every 80 seconds due to heart disease. One in three women. So the three of us are speaking right now. One of yes. us is gone, right? Yes, that's correct. So I get really, really angry that the numbers have not changed. And every single time someone comes across my profile or something that I've done with the American Heart Association and they say, oh, I didn't know, that angers me. It's like, why, why is this still something that people don't know? And I want to scream from the rooftops, you know, listen, what more attention do I need to bring? What else can I do to bring attention to the cause? Heart disease is affecting women younger and younger. And unfortunately, it's affecting minority communities disproportionately. Yes. Um, I don't know what it is, you know? They say that, oh, family history, the way you or where you might have grown up, there's these um, 
you know, areas where fresh fruit and vegetables aren't something that is commonplace. Yeah, that, it's not know, readily available. Food. It's just always fast food and, right, and like right. that. Yeah, so, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's just at what point do we stop penalizing certain communities because of what they look like? I agree. At what point do we stop signing these death sentences just because of where you're born? Right. Um, and it angers me that it's those communities that don't have the knowledge, the education about what heart disease is. You know, in the past I've raised money and I've said, you know, raising money is a way to help facilitate, bring programs into these underprivileged areas that need it, that need different types of programs in order to let people know what they should and shouldn't be doing. You know, these smoking cessation programs, the fresh food programs, even within schools themselves. Yeah, it just, it really does anger me. In terms of making this more mainstream or so that people know about heart disease and SCAD and other heart diseases like that, what do we think is a good place to amplify? Does it need to come from the medical doctors? Does it need to come from the medical schools to teach the doctors? Does it come from uh, public health sort of- um, All of it. Announcements? All, like All of it. Mm-hmm. I think all We're of it. We're doing it right now. Yeah. yeah. We're doing this it right now. one of those now. things. I think mm-hmm. more people who have survived need to speak up, share their truths, share what they went through. I've been fortunate enough to kind of be someone who was vulnerable enough to put herself out there and say, this is the new face of cardiovascular disease. Mm. You can't categorize me as that typical heart disease patient because of what I went through, but I have a form of it. I do. And more and more women are being affected. We have to stand up and we have to say, okay, enough is enough. Educate us educate us from the beginning, educate us in school when we're growing up about heart disease, you know, school lunch programs and breakfast programs, educate us around that. So that way it becomes habitual. It ends up being something that we have been brought up with and we know when we've heard so that by the time we reach our twenties, we understand and we know diet is important. I'm treating your body right is important. Um, I think the medical community in general, they need maybe an overhaul of just (laughs) women's health. I mean, what has gone on in regards of women's health is beyond me. That's a whole other, that could be a whole other show. We can do a whole other (laughs) podcast on that one. Yes. Agreed. 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 Because that all in of itself is something that I get worked up, especially since I have a daughter. But yeah, I think yeah. the medical community, we Aww. have to start, especially males within the medical community. They have to stop with this whole notion that women are dramatic. Stop assuming that because we wait 30% longer to go to the hospital when we're having some sort of heart-related issue than men do. We wait. <laughs> Right. We think we're going to we're going to get over it. We're going to push through it. We're going to, you know, what we do in our everyday lives in the first place. We take care of everybody else before we take care of ourselves. Right. Um, Men are the ones that are more dramatic. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Having had a husband and having two sons, I'm I'm clear. Um, And it's funny, I want to make mention of a a couple of things in terms of when we think about heart disease. Of course, Keisha, you had a heart attack. But I want to remind women, heart disease encompasses high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, heart disease encompasses what we call angina or just um, like uh, pain, like with exertion or chest pain that happens when you're, you know, just trying to exercise or it, you may not be having a heart attack, but you do get some discomfort. It can incorporate um, like shortness of breath when you are trying to do anything workout or just your normal daily activities. But one of the bigger ones is really that the heart disease of um, hypertension. And we don't always think of it as heart disease, but high yeah. blood pressure is a major risk factor for women to then be at increased risk for a heart attack. 
mm-hmm. um, for heart attack, for strokes, you know, for so many things. And it is that's why it's considered the silent killer. Right. So, exactly. You know, I, I want to make sure that we're not separating, you know, coronary artery disease and 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 the like from things like hypertension. Um, because it affects so many people and so many women. Yes. Um, yes. I mean, and, and all the other things that happened to us, um, you know, a little bit about my own story, um, having had preeclampsia when I had Tyler. Yeah, I remember. You know, <laughs> I remember. Uh, so my, my, my first son and I had preeclampsia. And Can I, you explain what, pre- what preeclampsia is? Sure. Preeclampsia, again, is a, is a high blood pressure problem that happens in pregnancy um, that puts you at risk for developing seizures and stroke and cardiomyopathy. Um, these are all things that can happen due to preeclampsia. And I also developed high blood pressure at the age of 30. Um, and we all know I'm going to be in my mid forties now, boy, I'm closer to 50 (laughs) than I am to 40, but it's so funny because people look at me and they're like, what, you have high blood pressure. And I'm like, yeah. And this is also the heaviest I've ever been in my entire life. I am bigger now than I was eight months pregnant. And so we always think that high hypertension or high blood pressure only happens to women who are very obese or overweight or sedentary. And like Keisha said, we're a family that moves and we're a family that eats well. And so it's not because I'm not eating the right foods and it's not because I'm not exercising or moving and having an active lifestyle that I have high blood pressure. It's just what it is. It's part of our family history. Again, the concept of knowing our family history. And and for us, you know, we had our grandmother passed away from diabetes, but it was never really explained to us that our family also suffers from high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my mom had high blood pressure also in her 30s. And so this is just what it is, you know. Um, and I had, it's a fight. It's a fight to make sure that my pressure is always normal and whether that means medication and, you know, like we've, we've been talking about the concept of self-care. I'm not exactly great on that. I'm doing my best (laughs) (laughs) in terms of the relaxation part of it. You know, Keisha, I can't, you know, stop how I feel knowing that we're having this conversation, knowing what we're bringing to um, the masses, what we're introducing to women all over, this is where it starts. It starts with the conversation. Um, I'm going to move on and just ask you a question. So we, you have a book. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so I'd like to know a little bit more. What's the, what's the mission um, from your book or, or what do you hope is going to happen from your book moving forward? Hopefully everyone buys it. Of course. Um, yes, please do. <laughs> We'll put a link but, to it in our in the, in the info. Yes. Um, thank you. Uh, but in all seriousness, when my heart attack happened, I cannot express how alone and alienated I felt. And mm-hmm. at the time when I was doing my own research, because I have this compulsion to need to learn everything, I couldn't find a lot of information. And I couldn't find people like me who went through it. Um, who had the same experience. So one of the reasons why I wrote the book is because once I did start sharing my story, I had women reach out and say, oh my gosh, I didn't know I went through this. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being so encouraging. And I thought, yeah, I I need to write everything down, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because it needs to be known. Um, And how do you navigate all of that? Like I had another baby yes. after a heart attack, which was a big no-no. <laughs> she, yes. it, was a, it was a surprise. And, yes. you know, and I discuss, you know, it's a very controversial issue, but I discuss what I went through trying to decide if I was going to follow through with the pregnancy and risk everything or not. Obviously, I followed through because she's here. Um, but it was Super a very cute. difficult very difficult decision. And I think people don't recognize when it comes to reproductive rights, that it's not just about wanting to be free or, you know, you just don't want to be tied down, you know, just, just going to have an abortion just because no, there's a lot of thought that goes through it. There's a lot of emotion involved in it. So, you know, that's one of the things that 
I talk about, I talk very openly about what I had to go through. And even with Mike, our relationship, how it was affected from my heart attack, because I turned within. I talk about mental health struggles. You know, all of that is important for people to know and understand. So if you have had a heart attack and you're struggling, you could read my book and maybe get some inspiration. If you're in the medical field, you could read my book and get inspiration yeah. on how <laughs> you need to look at your patients <laughs> differently or the same, but it, it, but more with more intention, with right. more with more feeling and, and and intuitiveness and listening and and making sure that you are hearing the patients right. when they actually speak to you. Right, and I discussed that. I went from one cardiologist to another because he and I were not on the same wavelength. Um, and it wasn't working for me. It wasn't. And I talk about, you can fire your doctor. You can get a second opinion. It's a service. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure you, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Sure you keep and yourself I never, abreast to the new things. I so try my best, but, but yeah. moreover, I always, I, I advocate for my patients, my, even my own patients to go and get a second opinion because I want them to, you know, really feel comfortable and have right. a lot of trust. That's what makes you a great physician because you understand that and you don't have ego or no. anything like that. You truly want what's best for your patients. For you. Yes. My, because that's how I want what's I want yeah. what's best for you. I want what's best right. for you, my cousin. I want what's best for my sister, my mother. Right. Yeah. I was fortunate to find a cardiologist who said, tell me more. Tell me more. Right. You know, and he had ran the cardiac rehab. He had written a bunch of different articles that were in, you know, American cardiologist journal or whatever it's called. But he said, we are a team. We right. are a team. We're going to figure this out. If this medicine isn't going to work, we'll, we'll try, try something, something else. else. And because of him, I, was, I wasn't in heart failure anymore. And if not for him, if not for me knowing that I needed better, who knows where I would be. And there was a point in time in which I was having chest pain again years later. And he said, or I asked him, do you think if I went to the Mayo Clinic just to figure some things out. And he encouraged it. He said, yes, go to the Mayo Clinic. They have state-of-the-art equipment there. They might tell you something that I just don't know, that I just couldn't find with what I have. So I encourage people to find a doctor that is on your team and wants to be on your team and listens. So um, I wanted to ask you, the, the name of your book is Sonata for a Damaged Heart. Yes. Why, why Sonata? So it's kind of a play on a, a couple of things. So a sonata has four parts. Your heart has four parts. Mm. Um, sonata is, you know, music-based. For me, music was always something that I felt I could resonate, like it resonated with me. I was able to truly get into music and movement and dance. You know, I danced she for did. about 17 years. Yes. Um, and it was something that was very freeing for me when I became a national spokesperson for the Go Red for Women movement in 2022. The campaign was called Reclaim Your Rhythm. And I just thought, rhythm, dance, you know, uh, sonata, a lot of times ballets are based upon these sonatas that are um, done. You know, this book is my own version of a musical for, you know, talking about a damaged heart, you know, so. And one that I feel has healed in an incredible way with bringing us this book and all of the advocacy and the things that you do. So I'm just super proud of you because I just, I, I oh, want to say you. that super publicly that um, for everyone to know that what you've been through is incredible. And, uh, and the fact that you share your story with all of us, that it, it's going to, it changes people's lives. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Um, I'm truly grateful for women like you, for a cousin like you, for physicians like you who truly, truly understand and want what's best for everyone, for everyone, for humanity. So yes, thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> so 
In closing, I um, I want you to just share with us, please, uh, an excerpt from your book. Okay, let's see. Cool liquid snakes up my arm. The room blurs and spins, and I'm floating as if I'm inside and outside my body at the same time. Someone brings Mike into the room. I watch him sit down next to me, watch myself tell him I'm having a heart attack, watch myself cry. Make sure the boys grow up as brothers together, I hear myself say. Look in my eyes, promise me. And that part of me, watching and hearing everything, the machines, my body abandoning me, me saying goodbye, begins to feel hyper aware and strangely calm. Everything becomes bright and clear and then goes quiet. I must be dying. I am being taken from this world, but I will go out with dignity. I don't want to die, but I accept it. (laughs) And with that, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't die. (laughs) I I know. I know. You're here. You're here with me. I'm here. <laughs> Sorry, I have I have to just you know break it up somehow. <laughs> oh, I I just wow, this is exactly why we're here, so that we can share your story and hopefully save another life. So yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, uh, American Heart Association for having you as one of their advocates. Um. And I'm just so happy you're my cousin. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you really don't know how much this means to me to be able to sit here with you and be able to discuss um, things like this because it really does matter so much. Mm-hmm. It just matters so much. And all I want to do is um, save lives and prevent women from going through what I went through. So Amen thank you. to that. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Keisha, for being with us. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the Dr. Sophia podcast. Until next time. Bye. Bye. This is general medical information based on my professional opinion and experience. For specific medical advice, please refer to your physician.